Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm your host, Youngmi Mayer. And I'm your other host, Brian Park. And today we have <laughs> an extremely special guest with us. And I'm excited because this is the first time we've had a guest while we've been in quarantine. And we're doing yeah. it over the phone. And I hope everything will turn out good and the sound will be good. Um, Recording a podcast a remotely is like... Yeah. It's like those old cartoons where you're holding a bunch of spinning plates all at once and something <laughs> could go wrong at any moment so yeah that was a little exactly tangent that i had to let go uh young me please do us the honor of introducing our guest <laughs> we're spinning the plates and some of them are falling that's okay our guest today is a is an amazing writer um he's also a teacher which is exciting and probably very interesting <laughs> right now because he's teaching it over is. Zoom. Um, also, he is very well known on Twitter for being the person that's pushing putting cheese on top of your shin ramen, which is uh, amazing. And that's what he's mostly known for. Everyone, right now, clap your hands. I know you're by yourself in your car. Clap your hands <laughs> for Noah Cho. <laughs> And this like lack of actual applause is still the most applause I've ever gotten in my life. So this is <laughs> this is really special to me right now. I'm just imagining <laughs> pretending that I'm getting applause, which is like how I can get through the day every day now. So Oh you are. You're getting thousands of applauses. <laughs> I'm just gonna pretend everybody <laughs> listening to this is clapping furiously and I, that's how I'm gonna make myself feel better right now. They are. They're probably crying at this point too. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Noah. Um, Hi. So no one <laughs> how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm. I don't know whether to be thrilled or sad that the cheese ramen thing is going to be what I'm known for until the day that I die. It's a good brand. It's a firm <laughs> brand. You know, it's yeah. it's very, very. It's a very flexible brand because people want to argue with me about it all the time, even this morning. Yeah. So yeah, good, good oh, times. Wow. Well, we're gonna definitely get to talking about that because I have lots of feelings. But before we get to the cheese shin ramen, Brian, how are you feeling? I am feeling, I, I, what's the word? I'm like wistful. Wistful. That's how I'm feeling. Wistful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like the grandma in the t on the Titanic because, so yesterday my <laughs> sister, brother-in-law, niece and nephew, they left. Okay. Oh, no. They went back to New York. So now it's just me and my parents here in Texas and the house is so quiet. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually very sad that they're not here anymore because mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to communicate with people who are kind of closer to you in age and, yeah, you know, love my parents, but there's actually a lot of stuff that I can't really connect with them about. So yeah. I'm kind of scrambling to figure out how I'm going to satiate that social part of my brain. And yeah. in the last 48 hours, uh, for whatever reason, my brain has decided to just reminisce about all of my exes wistfully. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's I've a lot. been That's there. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've so been there during quarantine for sure. Right, right. And it, it's no, there are no negative thoughts. I'll just be sitting in my kitchen and look uh -huh. out the window and be like, damn, those are some good times. 
<laughs> is there a particular well, like song that goes through your head in the moment too like a sad song or like kind of, oh man kind of nostalgic song like what, what's the song the soundtrack yeah, what's the, the song for thinking? you the <laughs> sad breakup song for me is eventually by tame impala and oh, yeah. oh yeah. wow yeah that's a good that's one a for cool one that's a good one for window gazing so yeah. that's, that's that's a really good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to Neutral Milk Hotel and it's so embarrassing. It's so sad. But the <laughs> lyrics are always about like some carnival lobster head boy or something. I'm just like, what am I listening to? It's making me cry. I'm crying about like uh, the guy, you know, wearing a bowler hat uh, joined the circus. What's going on here? Um, well, that's sad. Yeah. Actually, but- Brian, that's like a big sad feeling for me. I hate that feeling. You know, like when you go to your family's house and thanksgiving or something and then mm-hmm. you're having so much fun and then everyone starts to leave and then you're the last person mm-hmm. and it's you and your mom and it's just such a depressing yes. feeling like the pl- the plates clank extra loud and it's <laughs> yeah. just that's the vibe wistful and uh yeah just feeling very wistful how are you feeling young me yeah how am i feeling um I don't, well, I dyed my hair blue. Yeah, which you is, did. Something's happening. Something, <laughs> I don't know what it is yet. I'm going to process it in a few months. I dyed my hair blue and then I like drank wine with my friend like six feet away from her outside yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Trader Joe's like after I drank wine and I was just like talking to everybody at Trader Joe's. I, I don't even know what's going on. But then I realized dyeing my hair blue and going outside that people want to talk to me about having blue hair. And I was like, this is a huge mistake. Like, <laughs> you did I this hate to it yourself. When people, <laughs> I mean, even before Corona, I hate it when strangers try to talk to me on the street. Because I had this thing when I, when I grew up in Korea. This is like an old trauma. I've never talked to my therapist about this. I should. So when I grew up in Korea, I lived in Jeju-do, which is a very small island. That's like south of like Korea, the actual like country. And there were like no foreigners there at that point. It was only Koreans. So my dad, who was white, was like literally one of the only foreigners that lived there. So when he would drop me off at school, the entire school would like run out and like ask him for his autograph. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it was for some reason it traumatized me because I feel like in Korea it was like super bad to be like out of the ordinary. And it was so humiliating for me that people would like ask me about my dad and like be confused about my dad and stuff that like I would hide in a corner and my dad would think it was so funny that I was like so embarrassed by him. Was this and before feel, yeah. Chejido got like really popular as a tourist destination then? Because yeah, I mean at that yeah. point it was very popular for Koreans and I ah, feel I like see. now it is still it's still mostly just popular for Koreans and other East Asians I think and it's like it's really famous for um they have those the women who are divers. The henyo. Yeah, the henyo, like the the women divers, which they they like are just famous. And I actually interviewed some of them for Lucky Peach, this food magazine, which um, years ago, um, which I guess is kind of up your alley, Noah, huh? How am well, I that feeling was, though? Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say like that was how I learned who you were to begin with. Was I? Read oh, that. really? I read oh, that article. Yeah, yeah, um, and I was oh, really, funny. I was really, I was so drawn to it because it was about you know the henyo, which has always been like a really big topic of fascination for me so um, i remember that i still have that issue somewhere 
Oh, that's so awesome because I don't. I'm really bad at keeping <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm so chaotic. I just like throw things away all the time. Um, but that was like, yeah, that was fun. I guess this is kind of going off in a weird way because how am I? I don't know how I'm feeling because I dyed my hair blue. It's going to take me months for me to figure out what, what exactly went wrong there. <laughs> so I guess this is a good time. So anyway, so yeah, like I have this really strong reaction to when people want to talk to me in public or pay any attention to me because for me, it seems scary or harmful. And it's just somebody being like, hey, I love your blue hair. I don't know. I like react very strongly when pe- strangers want to talk to me. It scares me. Right. That's the irony of being a comic because comedians are usually very introverted, but the work is very yeah. public facing. And yeah, it's a bit like you're telling you're describing to us that you hate it when people talk to you, but you have electric blue hair right now. Or like I'm a comedian and I think a lot of comedians feel like that, too. Like they don't want to talk to strangers. It scares them, which right. is f- such a weird thing to say, because after a show, people try to talk to you and I'm like, no, like I get so scared, <laughs> like I run away. And I think that's why so many comedians leave shows right after they get off stage right right like everyone that i know that's a comedian does that they just do not hang out like it it's scary well so i guess i'm feeling so you're something f- you're, you're, you're feeling yet. electric blue hair <laughs> yeah my feeling right now is i dyed my hair blue in the bathroom <laughs> and we'll leave it up to you for interpretation <laughs> that's my listeners. emotion <laughs> it's too bad we can't like as a society come to an agreement about like what color hair means what level of approachability you are so it could be like well it's blue oh, so yeah, that yeah. means i don't want to talk to you but it, it was like bright orange it means like please have a full conversation with me or yeah, if it yeah, was red it's like please ask me how my love life is doing but nothing else about my personal life like it would be great if it was like yeah. color coded you know i yeah that's a good i think the color that means you please talk to me is bright pink that's my that's my mm. uh, theory that feels right that feels yeah. right yeah it's got a bubbliness so how are you it. feeling noah oh i'm i feel i feel not bad actually and then i am on top of that i feel guilty about not feeling bad mm. <laughs> if that makes sense because <laughs> yeah. right. you know i i, I I, when I'm so I mentioned as you guys mentioned when you introduced me I'm a teacher I teach middle school specifically and one uh-huh. of the things that I've been really trying to focus on is always asking them like what's actually going well or what's actually good in their lives you know I try to do that every day yeah. and I try to repeat that as well so I'm like well I don't have an hour-long commute to work every day which has been really great for my mental health we're starting work later which means the kids are more alert I'm more alert so I feel pretty good about that I still have a job right Mm -hmm. like that pays me a salary which is more than even a lot of my friends right now can say so i think i'm feeling like oh i i personally am okay but then also a huge amount of guilt that i don't want to say that out loud (laughs) you know either people (laughs) so you're asking me this and i'm saying it out loud and it feels even bad saying it out loud (laughs) right now but i actually feel like i'm i'm okay you know i'm cooking i'm getting a lot of exercise i'm you know getting more sleep i'm less tired from commuting and yet you know there's things i'm really sad about i'm really sad about not being able to go out to eat because um young me as you know like there's such great food in the bay area and there's so many places that i miss and so many places i'm scared are going to go away forever so um yeah that that's like very scary. first world problem right oh i'm sad mm-hmm. about restaurants you know like not being able to go out to eat um for mm-hmm. me personally is is a first world problem when a lot of those restaurant workers are like struggling to keep their head above water right so right right yeah I mean, That's it just means they, you're yeah, a, you're just a good socially conscious person and it's great because um, <laughs> I, I feel the same way as you where I'm constantly having to second guess how I feel because 
it's filtered through this lens of should. I'm like, I feel kind of guilty that I feel this way, like whereas I should feel this other way. And right. it's when I go on Instagram and I see influencers posting photos of themselves on yachts and stuff and being right. like, this is how I socially distance. I'm like, I want your brain where there's just zero <laughs> guilt, <laughs> just zero guilt and zero remorse. Like, <laughs> zero guilt and zero shame. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting point, though. Um, be- that's a really interesting point that I don't think Brian and I have talked about this yet because, you know, I I am struggling with like my work because my primary source of income or my only source of income was having a restaurant but i'm doing like i'm okay for now mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. even though it's like literally i week i i like live week to week i'm not sure exactly what my what i'm gonna be able to do you know next month or whatever mm-hmm. but even then i'm like oh i i am struggling but even then i feel sort of guilty that it's like not it's not worse. Like there are people that have it worse and I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, what am I complaining about? I'm like, Oh no, I can complain. But the thing is, that's the weird thing is, you know, we all have to, we have the right to feel bad. Do you know what I mean? Or sad. Mm-hmm. Like right. you shouldn't feel guilty that you feel sad about the state of things because it's hard for everybody. Right. Well, I also think I living where I live in the Bay area, uh-huh. which has you know, overall done a pretty good job of being on top of the pandemic. Like we did shelter in place way before anybody else did. So um, I've been in it a little bit longer. And also it doesn't feel as pressing of a threat here as I imagine it might be for you, young me, and like in New York, you know, so. Right. um, Wait, do you mean health wise? Health wise, yeah. So, you know, our our caseload is very low here um, Mm. relative to like other big metropolitan areas. So. Right. It doesn't, It do, you know, it doesn't, it's just a weird feeling walking outside. Um, I, I do get annoyed though. Like I can't hold it against people that they're out walking, but I walk my dog every day, twice a day and there's way more people yeah. out. And it's like really annoying to me that I can't go on my usual paths because there's like way more people and they're crowding everything. And I, I this, I've been walking these paths for years and no, I've never seen any of you people before. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, like then I feel guilty because it's like, well, they're just trying to get outside of their house. Right. So why yeah, am I getting mad at them? Crazy. So. Yeah, I'm juggling no, I get all annoyed. those. Yeah. yeah. I get annoyed because now there's so many people out in the parks and stuff. Like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just try to take Mino. I took I took him to the FDR drive, like, thing just to ride his bike. And I was like, I, we have to go home immediately. These people, are, there's so many people that it's like, there's no way. You literally have to stand right next to somebody. It's like mm-hmm. smooshed onto the sidewalk. And I was like, this is too much. Like, no one should be out here. This is too many people, you know? Yeah. Um, but then that's just me being a judgy bitch. Like <laughs> they're all going crazy. Like I, that's how I feel about the people that shame the people at the parks. Like they go to and take a picture of the people hanging out at parks. I'm like, we're all human. We're all going crazy. Like leave them alone. You know, they need to be outside. Yeah. Maybe they're breaking social distancing rules, but it's like, I don't know. I, whenever I see someone shaming people at the park, I'm like, I feel like you're going to crack soon and then you're going to feel bad because you're going to be the person at the park. <laughs> oh, do either of you do either of you read next door? Are you on next door? What's next door? No, what is oh, that? Oh, so next door is this app where it's like you have to like register with your zip code and then they send you a thing and then you can sign up for it. So it's a social media site but just for your neighborhood. So okay. wow. it but but it's filled with boomers who are like constantly yelling at each other. So the recent <laughs> battle that I've been watching on next door, I don't ever post on it. I just watch it like a car accident. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the recent one is like I in our area we have like conspiracy theory boomers and like law abiding yes. boomers and they're they're battling it out right now. 
you know, like what's, what's causing the pandemic oh about whether people should be wearing masks or not. And they are like posting pictures of each other and cars and <laughs> I don't know. So it's just this long ongoing um, battle on this, you know, very niche social media. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yo, Netflix and Instagram are getting wanna... old. So I'm down. I'm, I'm yes. going to download Next this. Door. Next, Next door. door. Neighborhood yeah. drama. And there's oh. also a great Twitter account called Best of Next Door, where um, oh. the woman oh. who runs it just like you know collects posts from Next Door that are just really over the top. Um, <laughs> so I would really check that. I would highly recommend it if you need to laugh. Okay, I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> what grade so are Noah, your students? I asked you, Noah. Oh yeah, what grade? Oh my grade. I teach seventh and eighth grade, so age wise, they're between twelve and fourteen. Okay. Nice. I like that age of kids. They're funny. They're yes, mean. They funny. They're mean. Oh they're, no they're wonder funny you're so mean. funny on Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm I just think it's funny because as we all know, like teachers are teaching over Zoom and I remember yeah. when I was in middle school, it would be the weirdest thing to see your teacher out in public at a grocery store mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. like that that barrier is broken where you like kind of see your teacher as a human being for once you're like oh you you're also a human who needs to get groceries too and i feel like with zoom weird but i feel like with zoom that's like magnified times a thousand because i'm you're you're teaching me in like regular clothes in like the comfort of your own home and i'm like oh wow okay this is this is i know what your house looks like now mr noah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know, my school is um, very, because it's in the Bay Area, it's like super hippie. So, um, yeah. mm. you know, I already wore just like a t-shirt and jeans to school every day. And like my school is oh, one of those okay, schools okay. where all the teachers go by their first name. So it's oh, a little okay. more casual. Um, <laughs> but the thing about running into the kids in the public is true. You know, when I'd go to like a farmer's market and I'd see a student, I'd be like, oh my God, hey, how's it going? And they would look at me like, uh, I don't <laughs> know how to you. react to you right Wait, now. <laughs> Um, Wait, does it feel weird to you to see your students or just to them? No, it's just to them, you know? And, yeah. Um, it, it in fact, the weirder so weird. the weirder it is for them, the funnier it is for me, right? Because then <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, who's your friend? Is this the kid you were talking about from the other school that, you know, I love doing that? <laughs> oh I love God, doing that kind of thing. You're just embarrassing um, them. Yeah, I'm like them. the awkward dad, you know? Um, I love that. You know, I, don't have ki- I don't have kids of my own, so like I have to be use my dad jokes and everything else with like my students and Amazing. they can't stand it. But That's um, so sweet. But they're also, um, you know, it's usually the kids who are the most extroverted in class, too, or the ones who are most weirded out when they see me in public. So it's like, I cannot get this kid to stop talking right. during class. But the minute they see <laughs> yeah. me at, like, I don't know, Rustic Bakery, they're, like, looking at the ground or looking in the air or, like, trying to run away <laughs> as fast as they can. Um, it's like they've been, they're like, you know them too much. They're mm-hmm. known by you. <laughs> but here's a weird, here's a weird phenomenon on Zoom is, like, the kids are just so quiet now and I think it's because they're seeing their own faces you know mm. like when you're when you're oh. talking and you actually see yourself talking I think yeah. they have like a really bodily visceral reaction to it so my like my school is very social and very participation oriented and it's been now it's getting better but for the first three or four weeks it was like pulling teeth I'm like why are you guys not saying anything you always talk all the time you're you're middle schoolers right and it's like, my oh, god yeah that's something I didn't even think about because like remember when you were in middle school like i know now kids like tiktok and stuff all the time but i had never really seen my face you know what i mean Mm -hmm. on camera or in a video you know maybe maybe i saw it like once or twice my entire life Mm -hmm. at that point of being in middle school that would be so weird if i had to look at my face 
<laughs> and I don't, I don't know if it's like the the actual literal hormones are no longer flying in the air, and like, right, you know, oh. like all the all the miasma of like <laughs> feelings and hopes and dreams and despair that's like <laughs> normally in the my classroom at school, it's not there anymore. It's just them in their yeah. bedroom, right? So, um, yeah. I think they're feeling differently too. And they're not, you know, the boys aren't trying to impress the girls they have crushes on as much, right? Because it's like, well, nothing's gonna happen. So, whoa, <laughs> yeah, wow, you must see so much of that in real oh, life. Oh yeah, being yeah, around middle I'm, schoolers. I, and I, like I said, I do miss the day to day. I just don't miss the smell, though. Um, oh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, gl- I'm very glad that I'm not like smelling them <laughs> on a regular basis. Oh. What do they smell like? Middle schoolers Is have a strong smell. Yes, middle schoolers <laughs> have a strong smell. Is it a horny smell? smell? Uh, it's not a horny smell, but you know, I, I actually read, I actually read this article um, that middle school boys, in particular, when they're going through puberty, they give off a smell that smells similar to like a fart. And I thought for years, you know, I've been teaching for 15 years and I thought like, oh, they're just farting all the time, right? Because you're like, that's just the age where you just let it rip and don't care. But I was like, no, they actually like excrete. So you can look forward to that, actually, Youngmi. They smell like farts? (laughs) Kind of like fartish funk. Yeah, like like a a fart adjacent. Yeah, it's it's a fart. It's a farty funk, I would say. Well, I always hear, I always hear moms of boys say like, they smell terrible. They smell terrible. And I'm like. Like what? Like bo? I've smelled bo, but apparently there's another no. smell, a farty the, fart smell. Yeah, and even the wow. bo is different, yeah. you know, than adult bo. Right. It's it's, it's I don't know. And then they go once they start realizing they they go the opposite direction. So they buy like Axe body spray. Um, the boys do, and the girls buy like Bath and Body Works stuff, and they just slather themselves oh. with it. Like if at the second half of the year, if you lit a match in my classroom, it would explode from all of the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from all of the Axe body spray in the air. Honestly, like, that's my yeah. nightmare. I hate. I don't mind bo. It could be the worst fartiest bo ever, and I'm okay with it. But if, if that like spray perfume smell gives me, literally makes me nauseous. Like, yeah. you know that smell, Centol 33? I've been talking about this since it came out. Like, <laughs> I remember, like, one year, like, 2013, all of a sudden, everyone smelled, like, like wormwood or whatever, sandalwood. Sandalwood. But it was, sandalwood. Like, distinct, like, disgusting, putrid, thick sandalwood smell. And then I found out what it was. It's, like, that Centol 33. It literally mm-hmm. makes me gag. And people are still wearing it. And I, whenever I smell someone wearing it, I want to scream, like, it's not trendy anymore. Stop wearing it. You know, I've That's always... Like you want to burn. <laughs> I love how we're on this little BO tangent, but I just really need to get this <laughs> out there. So when it comes to adult BO, uh, in particular, it's usually white guys who are the worst offender of this, where some white adult men will smell like fucking shit, and <laughs> they, they'll, they'll have a partner. And I sometimes wonder, I'm like, I can't believe you're fucking this person who smells this bad. <laughs> and I've always wondered... Like, if you're the partner who's attracted to this person, do you just not yeah. smell this person? Or does it smell good to I, you? Or is this a biological response where I'm like, yeah. I'm repulsed because I'm not attracted to you, nor do I want to fuck you. So this is why it smells I so bad to me. I personally have really bad BO. And I am i don't mind BO, like I said. So it doesn't bother me. So I'm guessing that their partner either likes the smell or is not bothered by it. Or is just, but, like, adapted to it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's like Anyways. a pheromone thing, you know. Yeah. I think it's a pheromone probably, thing too. Yeah, yeah. They probably like it. Ew. Yeah. 
Sorry, I'm getting nauseous now. Um, um, so <laughs> I asked Noah how he was feeling. He said he was feeling guilty, which is pretty, you know, on on trend for us Asians. Um, do you? Should we talk about the cheese ramen thing? Let's do your sure. legacy. Yeah. Give me the yeah. deep dive on so, this cheese okay. ramen legacy. So if you've never heard of this, um, in Korea. I just want to say this, that this is a big thing in Korea and it has yeah. been for years. I grew years. up in Korea and even when I was a kid in the 90s, you would go eat punjik, which punjik means like kind of like fast food. And they would usually sell shin ramen, different types of shin ramen, um, kimbap, tteokbokki, like those kind of fast food, like kind of food for kids, right? Or yeah. young people. And there's always an option of adding a slice of like cheese like american sliced cheese on your like ramen or inside cheese, your yeah. kimbap yes. yeah craft cheese but there's an option to put it on your ramen your kimbap your tteokbokki and people just have been doing this for years and no one ever said anything about it in <laughs> korea it's like totally acceptable right right but in america i feel like there's this whole thing sorry if i'm taking your thing Noah, but like there in america there's like this obsession with like Asian food having to be authentic or whatever. Uh, yeah. Right? Like from 1803 where where the guy that knows about sushi will be like talking about like Edo style sushi or something, whatever. And then like that is better than whatever sushi you get at the the California roll with mayonnaise on top of it or whatever. <laughs> you know, like they, yeah, they, they're yeah. like, no, no Japanese person would eat that. Or like no Korean person would e eat that. But it's like the truth is that food is flexible and it mm -hmm. just changes and it's like no one really has ownership of, of it like when korean people are putting cheese on ramen they're not like i'm americanizing this or uh, no. whatever do you know what i mean they're just eating it because it tastes good together and it's like to do like I, I always see the people arguing in your like tweet tweet like threads about it and like a lot of times it'll, it'll be like an asian american person or mm -hmm. a white american person being like that's blasphemous and i'm like right. bro you've never been there like why are you all of a sudden the like expert and so that's what bothers me and i'm guessing that this is what bothers you about the cheese ramen thing but tell tell us about how the cheese ramen thing like became your thing um well, I first want to just say, like, I appreciate you actually doing that intro because oh, one of the things that I always argue with people about in my comments and they yeah. don't listen to me. I'm like, this has been happening in Korea forever. Like, I didn't invent this, yeah. you know, like I and I've never like claimed to have invented it um, yeah. ever. And just the fact that people are constantly like, oh, this is, you know, this is this is heresy. Like somebody actually literally called me a heretic on Twitter today because Karen Han. Wow, the, this morning? The film, yeah, the Karen Han, the film writer who writes for, for Polygon. Um, uh -huh. She was like, oh, yeah, I finally have converted myself over to, you know, eating cheese on ramen. I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. great job, Karen. And then somebody's like, you're such a heretic for doing this. I'm like, I'm not a heretic for doing this. There's millions of Koreans that have been doing this for like 30 years, 40 years. So it's not like yeah. anything that shocking. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think when I started getting really into Twitter, um, and it was when Roy Choi's um, recipe for ramen came out in the New York Times, and he uh -huh. he put a slice of cheese on it because, you know, Roy Choi's from LA, um, Southern California, like I am, right? He's a Korean from that area, and mm -hmm. it was common when we were growing up to do that too, like you like you were saying, young me, right? So uh -huh. he wrote that, and then all these people, mostly white people, were like, I cannot believe the New York Times is publishing this recipe, and how dare they? And um, so I started defending it. And then, you know, there are Koreans who get really mad about it, too. Yeah. Like Korean, mm -hmm. Korean Americans, you know, who are like, this, yeah. is, this is wrong. I'm like, if you go to 7-Eleven so. in Korea, you mm -hmm. will see in the back 
slices of Kraft's cheese, and it says Ramyun cheese on it. Yeah. Like, it's it's designed specifically to be put on it. It's you like know? some so. sort of, like, uh, mixed, like, uh, pride in who mm-hmm. they are as Koreans, but they don't realize that in Korea that it flies. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, it's just like you're just putting cheese on noodles, which... You know, yeah. I feel like most people do. Right. <laughs> you know, so just putting, putting Noah, something this fatty is, on like acidic food is good. It's good. Yeah. So, it's Noah, crazy. this is my first time meeting you. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I read your work online and I saw that you had written an article about essentially it was a defense of putting mm-hmm. Kraft cheese on ramen. So mm-hmm. was the like response to this Roy Choi article and seeing how upset people were getting over like kind of mixing mm-hmm. or just creating fusion food was is that what inspired you to write this piece yeah and just more and more like i it became my brand because i would just talk about it all the time because okay. i would just constantly see people saying you know koreans would do it and then somebody would respond to it and then i would you know i try not to jump into twitter fights too much but this one for some reason just was like very alluring <laughs> to me, I guess, <laughs> you know, because it's like, well, I like this thing. So, um, yeah, so I just kept talking about it. And then eventually when I got this regular column on Catapult, um, Nicole Chung, my editor, um, she's like, you know, you really should write about this because it's been, you know, your thing. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess if I write it, it will cement my opinion about it forever. And then and now... You are now the people cheese ramen man. <laughs> yeah, I am. And then now, like, whenever people are arguing about it, like, I, the most, I most often get pulled into arguments about it when somebody links my column to somebody else as a defense of it right. so if somebody will post like oh i put cheese on my ramen today it was delicious and then inevitably a usually white person will jump into their responses saying that's disgusting and they're like no mm-hmm. this guy at no reservation wrote this column and it'll be my column will pop up but that happens at least twice a week i think so and then you're just like oh. cracking your knuckles like here we go again I'm like yeah getting the page views for catapult all mm. right <laughs> interesting okay yeah because I yeah, never like... grew up eating cheese on anything. And I can see how it is a little bit unusual because mm-hmm. t- tell me if I'm wrong. Like the that the putting cheese on ramen, that's probably inspired from the Korean War. It's like appropriate from <laughs> yep. American GIs who right. imported cheese. So in a sense, like yeah. it is not the pure Korean way. Now that's mm-hmm. up to interpretation. Like what... Mm-hmm. now like this whole sense of purity is now we live in 2020 like it's constant it's a nebulous thing that's always right. changing so yeah is it I like o- usual- is it usually like the older is it older generation or like boomers mm-hmm. who are upset or yeah no because the boomers actually live through the post-war you know austerity restructuring of korea things so that i think they're more comfortable with like oh yeah throw throw spam in it throw baked beans in it right like that's uh, what we had so okay. there's yeah, a yeah, there's yeah. more of a comfort there i think i think it's like the yeah, that purity aspect but you know one yeah. one thing mm-hmm. i always tell people is you know we think of korean food as spicy but chili peppers didn't come to korea until like the 18th century so if you look at the mm-hmm. true imperial you know hanshik food or whatever like that was yeah. not spicy because chili peppers did not exist in korea no until, way like, i had no yeah. idea that's, that's so yeah. interesting that's also yeah yeah and when also, people ask me told, what I korean think... food is i always say that i'm like everything is red everything's super spicy <laughs> and uh-huh. it's just a yeah. lot of chili they want peppers. ham on the chili but yeah i, yeah, I had no me idea that about i think do you know chris yang i think he told me that uh-huh. about yep. china too like apparently like szechuan cuisine and stuff like that that was only like only like 200 years old but i I mean that might be wrong that's i think that's true too like just the yeah the 
longer chili peppers, like the Sichuan mm-hmm. chili that we, mm-hmm. the, the numbing spice chili. I know, Youngmi, you're very familiar with that, but because um, oh, I'm yeah. Chinese, but you know, that was, that has been around, but that's not spicy, right? It just it's makes your, spicy. It's it just numbing. makes your mouth numb. And that's not even yeah, a chili. It's a, it's a berry, right? So, yeah. Um, and then I read this other thing about Korean food, how it's, um, you know, because for most of history, they're a Buddhist country. So it was mostly vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But then everyone just knows about Korean barbecue, which is interesting. Right. Did you watch um, the Netflix um, chef's table about the Korean Buddhist monk? Yes. The yeah. the monk. Yeah. And I she, know her she, personally. She, oh, wow. Yeah. So she doesn't cook with chili or like with yeah. um, garlic or, you know, onions because it's it, like it brings up desire supposedly yeah. to do that so um oh yeah duh. it's like the, it's <laughs> like how collab calabrian people yes don't people say that they're like their food is spicy so they're so sexy sexual right. calabrian chilies um, are delicious though they are delicious <laughs> mm. <laughs> um yeah there's so many interesting things about food you know when i think like people that have ideas of like authenticity I, I, f- I hate it when people come from that place because it's like they mm-hmm. feel it feels like they have like an ownership or some a knowledge like they're trying to one-up you this is kind of like what we were talking about last week where there's like a group of people and i think this group exists a lot in food media for some random reason where they're always trying to like assert that they're better than you by knowing something you know what i mean or like i just like remember being at a party once and this white guy was like no offense why <laughs> but that's what he was <laughs> he was like trying to explain to me something about korean food and i was like oh cool like i've, I've never heard of that he's like well blah 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 and i was like you win you you out <laughs> korean fooded a korean yeah, person man here's your stupid kimchi trophy what the fuck do you want me to say you know like I okay know. great you have a problem with cheese on ramen yeah that's not authentic great you win the olympics of knowing shit about korea like i just hate that like i don't know i hate that sort of approach to food no i, I think you're absolutely right the authenticity thing really ruined food <laughs> for a yeah, lot of right? people right i'm like because, why are you so upset yeah. about a koreans don't give a shit like they my don't. grandma they really you know, like, don't <laughs> my aunt is putting literal seven up into her water kimchi like that's part of her water mm-hmm. kimchi recipe she pours like a bottle of seven up in there just shut up okay like so she's from, been doing it for 20 years so from your experience noah i mean th- your whole this whole cheese ramen debate is interesting to me because i think we can collectively all agree that we're, the times we live in now are more cre- progressive than they have ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an open dialogue on diversity. So why do you think people are so obsessed with this buzzword of authenticity when it comes to food then? Like, why is that so important when societally we are more diverse than we've ever been? I think a lot of it has to do, as Young Me mentioned, with like food media, you yeah. know, um, and just the way like, um, I mean, yeah, the way that shows like Chef's Table or, um, and I don't, I don't think Anthony Bourdain himself. I don't want to speak for him. Obviously, he can't speak for himself, unfortunately. But you know, I don't think he even wanted it to go to this direction. But mm. I think people, what people took away yeah. from watching his show, right, was yeah. like, oh, I need to be in search of the pure form of things, um, which to me always showed like kind of a lack of critical thinking about like what he mm-hmm. was actually saying on his show. Uh. Um, and then, you know, like, and then you have, like, Andrew Zimmern's show. And even now with, like, um, I think Eater does a great job for a lot of things. But sometimes with some of the episodes they would have of their YouTube shows, it seemed to be really focused on, you know, let me find this one Japanese restaurant that's been making 
mochi the same way for 500 years and isn't this amazing yeah. and it is amazing and it is great you know but i think that's just one way of looking at it but people get really focused on that that purity aspect um mm. and i think people yeah. want to show that they're well round like young me like the guy you were talking about that walked up to you i think there's a desire yeah. to show that like they are educated and well-traveled and knowledgeable but they love so yeah but they love specifically one upping you on your own culture which fucking bothers right. me right have you ever, has a white person ever literally told you that before and you're like oh i'm more korean yes. than you oh my god i no. hate that so no, no, much no, but they've i've been in so uh, many situations because you know i used to hang out with a lot of chefs where they're explaining korean food to me because mm-hmm. i think they assume that i'm korean american and i don't know right. a lot about korea right. they don't know that i was born and raised there so i'll just sit there and be like all right, that actually happened to me recently. And then they will try to like talk to the server and they won't be understanding. And then I'll just like bust out my Korean and be like, just, just, this man's stupid. <laughs> right. Well, I also think about, but, um, um, yeah. I also, I, I also think about the disparity between like the New York media scene and like LA, you know, where I grew up in Southern California, as I mentioned. And yeah. um, uh-huh. it, it was always frustrating to see like, oh, when Korean food started to get really popular, you know, I think maybe about, uh-huh. 10 years ago is when that really started. I think a lot of the media was like, oh, it's because chefs in New York would go to K-Town, you know, in, in Manhattan and late at yeah. night. And that's that's how it got popular. But then I'm thinking uh-huh. about like L.A.'s K-Town and how people have always known about L.A.'s K-Town. Right. And Korean food has been popular in L.A. for a long time. Um, and maybe yeah. it was just like our West Coast bubble with that. But that was always a source of frustration for me, too. And that if you go to L.A. and look mm. at the way Korean food is there, they definitely are not like t- bound by feel bound by authenticity, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a restaurant called Sonondang in LA mm-hmm. where it's uh-huh. like kalbi jim with like cheese that they blowtorch to melt yes. it on top, you know. Oh, and that's awesome. That's not <laughs> that's not like authentic, you know. It's just right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just I feel like they're more like because like if you go to Korea and eat food there and tell them that it's not authentic they're like what the fuck are you talking about i'm a <laughs> korean person that lives in korea like yeah who gives a shit if it's authentic there's no like trying to like prove itself do you know what i mean and i feel like right. maybe la is similar where the koreans yeah. that live in la are just like yeah i'm fucking korean as shit like i don't need to like <laughs> i don't need to char my <laughs> i yeah. don't even know like what you expect yeah. me to do i'm just a korean person so i'm gonna eat whatever the fuck i want well in right. korea, korea like they just if they want hanshik you know the traditional cuisine they go to a hanshik restaurant and that's fine right and then if they want to just go to 7-eleven and get tteokbokki out of the you know tin that's been sitting there for two days then they do that right it's not like a huge yeah it's not like a huge deal they don't have to prove anything right Um, so so interesting speaking of authenticity uh this is this is a question that young me and i like to ask all of our guests and we purposely keep it open-ended because you know, it's up for interpretation. How do you interpret this? And we want to ask you, how Asian are you? Ooh. Youngmi and I have, like, been talking as friends for a while now. And I think since we're both half white, you know, we've we've had really interesting conversations about this, you of know, course. offline. Plot um, twist. We're the, plot. we're the cheese shin ramen of people. <laughs> we're the cheese shin ramen. I mean, like, I, I wonder about that sometimes, too. And then people like, have, like, kind yeah. of, you know... Um, it made pithy remarks to me in that direction too like oh you only like that because you're you're half white right it's mm. like is this, a, is this a half white thing right um yeah. how asian do i feel you, i think them. i think i feel currently you know what's interesting i think when the the covid stuff started happening the coronavirus stuff started happening i think i felt more asian than i have felt in a while honestly mm. just because my um 
my physical presentation is so Asian looking, even though I'm biracial. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I look that biracial, you know? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think I present more... I call it nebulous Asian because Koreans don't mm. think that I'm Korean usually, but same, um, same here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I look like a nebulous Asian, so um, I, you know, that was always my worry. Is like I'm gonna now with all this harassment against Asian American people, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm I feel really Asian, right? Even if maybe culturally sometimes I don't feel that Asian or that Korean. Like I, you know, one of the big differences that I think between me and Young Me, for example, is like my mom is what the white one. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad is the Korean one. And he was a Korean immigrant, but he was very determined to assimilate and like never teach me the language. So mm. um, oh. I grew up not being fluent in Korean or not really speaking Korean. And any Korean that I knew, I had to like teach myself or learn from cousins or, you know, learn from movies or books and stuff like that. So um, mm. I not having a firm grasp on the language made me feel mm-hmm. like not Korean, you know, mm. but right. I still present as Asian. So I feel like I get a lot of um, if I'm out in the world, I'm out in the, my day to day, people react to me as if I am an Asian person, right? Which I am. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but when I'm at home culturally, then I feel a little bit less Asian because it's like, well, I have a lack of access to all these things. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I mean, as somebody that's biracial, that looks just very Asian, um, I have the same exact experience where I read as Asian to everyone else. Yeah. And and to Kore- except to Koreans who think exactly. I'm just like they're like well, I don't know what you are but you're not Korean. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I had That's literally I, what they I, say. I, Did I tell you I went to this so restaurant. Hard. I went to, when I was in LA in January, I went to like this like crab um kejang restaurant, like this crab oh, restaurant. Nice. And I walked in and the woman was like uh, she said like, like a Chinese person is here. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, racist. Like Koreans are racist, but sometimes. But like I was like, all right, weird. And so then she came to my table and I was like, just talking, speaking Korean with her. And she at the end was like, you know, your Korean is really good. Like even with my fluent Korean, it wasn't Mm -hmm. registering to her that I'm Korean. Mm -hmm. She decided that I was a Chinese person that for some reason spoke fluent Korean. Right. She like, she was just like, good for you, you know? (laughs) Well, I remember young me when you and I went to dinner that one time at Atomics and they were like, when you spoke Korean to them, they were like, so taken aback they were just like they almost, it was like <laughs> an like, almost no. like an audible gasp when <laughs> young me busted out her, her like, incredibly good like career yeah they're like <laughs> they're like no i don't accept this that's your secret weapon it's unacceptable you to me. your korean it's a flex yeah i you don't know, like my, doing it every once in a while because i am yeah, you know my, i am okay. full korean and um you know you mentioned noah that because you can't speak korean as well as you want to or ho- had hoped to uh you hold that against yourself because in those mm-hmm. moments you said you feel like i you don't really feel that asian because you can't speak mm-hmm. uh korean now i feel like that that's must be so challenging being biracial because you know people who don't know you internally it's an arbitrary metric where people will choose pick and choose certain parts of your identity and mm-hmm. then like ascribe whether that's white or whether that is Asian. And mm-hmm. that must be really challenging because, you know, for, for clarity, there's a NASCAR driver who is half Asian, half white. And oh, yeah. on a, right, on a live stream, oh. he, hurl, he said these very racially, he basically said a lot of racist shit. What? And he said the N-word. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? He's, he's straight Hard up, R. Who is this? Yeah. Now, right, he said the N-word and, you yeah. know, he was banned and, you know, there were a lot of, like, consequences, obviously, as there should have been. 
But prior to that episode, he presents as very white. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. anyone ever would describe him as being an Asian NASCAR driver. But mm-hmm. as a byproduct of this thing that he did, which is say this racist ass shit, people started making these comments about, oh, well, you know, Asian people are really racist if you really mm-hmm. understand their culture. Now it's like, oh, in this instance, he's very, he reads as very Asian, <laughs> you know, whereas mm-hmm. prior to right. that, you're just right. a good old white NASCAR driver. So I imagine yeah. that's, a, that's the challenge. That's a challenge that comes with being biracial that, you know, I, because for me, I'm full Korean, like people see me as Korean mm-hmm. or see me as full Asian, like it's just consistent throughout the course. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, I think there's a huge, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to frame this specifically around like half white, half Asian people like, mm-hmm. like me uh-huh. and young me, but I think there's like a spectrum of passing, you know, yeah. that happens a lot often yep. where, um, you know, like I, I obviously have a lot of proximity to whiteness, right. Um, yeah. because yeah. of my mom, but I don't have like white privilege, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah. and my, my last name is Korean, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it, it, everything lines up when somebody looks at me, right? It's like, oh, Korean name, Asian looking face, right? Um, people thought I was adopted usually when I was with my mom, you know, who's mm-hmm. very blonde and, and white, you know, fair skinned. I don't know if you ever got that young me, but, um, you know, people thought, you know, she wasn't my real mom or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or like second wife sometimes. Um, but I do think, you know, like, I'm to some people I'm white when they need me to be white if that makes sense and I'm Asian when they need me to be Asian like you're talking about Mm. Brian you know with Mm. this with this incident and um you know like with a like with the census years ago it was like well it's helpful to some people if I'm if I say that I'm Asian right and it's helpful to some people if I say that I'm I'm white about like what they need to fund or whatever um like the UC system yeah taking that into consideration and stuff like that but I just like yeah yeah I, I just feel so um, I, I think that's my biggest source of sadness mm. is what I'm talking mm. about like not being able to to speak the language because I feel like then I could lean into like I could feel more Asian if that makes sense yeah um, not to reference the title of the podcast but um, I, you know I think I would <laughs> I would I would feel like I could really lean into that a lot more than I did you know and I dated um, yeah I mostly in my life have have been in relationships with with Asian women and their comment is always like, "Oh my God, you're so white," <laughs> you know. Oh, um, yeah, you're so you're so white. It's because, and it's like a lot of it is very stereotypical. Like, I'm very open about my feelings. Like, if I'm depressed, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, I'm depressed, and I need to go to therapy, and I'm on SSRIs, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff." And I'm I'm able to talk about mental health very openly, or like, "I love you," "I hate you," you know, like those th- those type of things. And um, right, yeah. Words of affirmation are is my love one of my love languages, and my mom, who is white was very right. good at doing affirmation and telling me she loved me and stuff like that. So I didn't grow and up with like what a lot of Asian people yeah. did of wondering <laughs> if they love me, you know, she said it. So, yeah. And your girlfriends that were Asian read that as a white thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like words right. of affirmation, which is not stereotypically an Asian thing. Um, that right. is really interesting. Like what you're saying when people need you to be this, you're that mm-hmm. like kind of what Brian was talking about with a NASCAR driver. Yeah. Because I feel like the number one thing that people, one of the first things that people know about East Asian people now is that East Asian people tend to be very racist (laughs) and specifically against other Asian people and against black people. Like there's a lot of anti-black racism, which is all Mm -hmm. true. But (laughs) I always wonder why fucking white people love talking about that so much. 
You know what like, I mean? Well, I. You know I what I'm saying? Like, I. I it's yeah. all true, and like, yeah. it's fair, and like, it's right. terrible. The anti-black racism in East Asia is fucking off the charts, and somebody needs to fucking deal with it. But this is the thing. Okay, so I'm just gonna be very fast with this. Most Korean people have never seen a black person. It's, they're mm-hmm. just, you know, they're they just is very rare. And I feel like a lot of what Korean people know about black people, it was brought by white military people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because that's like all like the last time I went to Korea, my cab driver was like, oh, like, oh, you're from New York. And I was like, yeah, it sucks. And he was like, oh, yeah, you mean like places where the black people live? And I'm like, who told you that? You know what I mean? Like, where did you hear that? Where did he hear that? You know, where did he hear that? Um, Who would say something like that? White Americans. You know what I mean? So it's just like, but obviously this is a huge topic. I don't really want to talk about it. It's kind of scary. (laughs) I I, like totally like, I I totally... yeah, I totally like agree that East Asians and the racism is really intense. But I'm like, like what Brian was saying, how somebody that is white passing biracial, he's being racist, and all of a sudden it's because he's Asian. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I, right. I just think I just Ooh. think Asians are very handy for white people. So East Asians are very handy for white people sometimes, yeah. right? And um, I think, you know. I I hate talking about the model minority thing. I think it's like so yeah. played out. I'm very bored with the discussion, but uh-huh. there is some truth to that. That it's like there's this one professor. Every two years, he he writes a, a, the same journal paper, and it's called "How the Asians Became White," and mm. he he's constantly trying to like push this theory. And every people laugh at him, and but every two years, he he comes out with it again and again and again. And I think there is a desire of like, okay, well, this is a this is you know a minority that we're good with and, and there's a way of turning those minorities against other minorities in order yeah. to keep white supremacy white supremacy where it is and i think my yeah. big example of this and i don't want to go too much in the weeds of this because it's really dark and depressing but um <laughs> having 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 grown up in southern california and being having been a teenager when the la mm-hmm. riots were happening i mean that's mm. literally what happened right like yeah. The, yeah. the cops went and fortified beverly hills and westwood and they mm-hmm. left koreatown you know, just totally open to being burnt to the ground. And it like the cops were literally, if you look at what happened, they were literally funneling the riots that direction. It was like, well, let's just pit these two people against each other and, you know, we'll protect Rodeo Drive, you know? So I think that's always been a tactic for... It's a tactic. Yeah, Yeah. no, I totally agree that because especially Korean Americans interact so much with other people of color in America. Mm -hmm. Their communities are like very interwoven Mm -hmm. and they're specifically racist towards other people of color. Um, But they they do just interact way more, those Mm -hmm. groups. But I, that's like what I'm trying to get at. Part of it, I mean, obviously it's true. There's a lot of racism in Asians, but there's also a part of it that's like tactical feeling. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I feel like it does become like a sort of weird, like scapegoat for white people to like sort of defuse, like, you know. Makes them feel better. It makes makes them feel better better about their own racism, right? It's like, well. And it becomes like a distraction or something. It's like, hey, if we just look at the statistics uh, for who has ruined the lives of people of color in the world in history, it's white people. But you oh can also be like, and the Asians. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget the Asians. Well, it's just you know? interesting having having a conservative white family, right? That mm. that is that is you know my there's my dad's family, which is Korean, obviously, and then my mom's family, which is my mom. My mom is she has her own racial issues, and her mm-hmm. excuse that she's not racist is me. <laughs> you know, yeah. like my, it's, I mean, it's, I talk about this. My yeah. dad is really racist. Yeah. He's a white guy, and he's right. very racist. Right. Wait, so, so my mom, what, yeah. 
my mom does the same thing, right? Like, well, I can't be racist because I had three Asian children. And like, yeah. I, I don't actually think that's how it works. <laughs> you no, know, like, not at all. Um, and do you tell people that and people get so confused? Like, I tell people that my dad is racist and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's true, though, you know, and my mom has such a racial blind spot. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, she always uses me and my siblings and my dad, you know, her, her marriage to my dad as, as like, well, I'm not racist, but um, <laughs> I think what also happens, though, is she also on the same hand, other hand, she doesn't know that I'm not white. Like she, she oh, thinks yeah. she thinks I'm white, you know, I, I'm yeah. like, I, I, like when this all this coronavirus stuff started happening and I was like, hey, I'm scared to like go to the store. Right. Because I don't want yeah. somebody to attack me. She's like, oh, but you know, it's fine. You know, I don't see what the, I don't see why you should be afraid. Like, there's just this, <laughs> That's this hysterical, crazy? huge, this like huge disconnect. Of, um, oh my like, god, Noah! Do, do you forget? Literally, that? look at my face, <laughs> like, Noah. This is literally the conversation I had with my dad. He was like, "What?" But uh, you're not, you're not Asian. I'm like, "Have you seen me, father?" Like, <laughs> this is like, what are you talking about? What are you missing? Uh, That's literally my, what the conversation I had with my dad. You know, and I, I, for context, for context, I should also say, um, my dad passed away when I was young, when I was 13. So, mm-hmm. um, but I do remember being really little and there was in, in Orange County, which is specifically where I grew up in Southern California. Orange County is a terrible place, by the way. Really, really <laughs> awful. Okay, um, I won't, I'm going to write that down. Don't go to Orange <laughs> County. <laughs> um, but uh, there was like this neat, like a lot of those cities of Orange County were founded by the KKK. It's a little known fact about Orange County. Whoa, but, um, yeah. wow. Okay, so there's I'm one, really writing that down now. There's one city called Yorba Linda, which is adjacent to Anaheim, which is the city where I grew up in. And um, uh-huh. there was all these neo-Nazi attacks on Asians when I was like wow. maybe seven or eight years old. Oh, fuck. And and I was scared. I was like to my dad, I was like, hey, if a neo-Nazi comes after me because I'm Asian, should I tell him that I'm half white? And he was like, no, that was going to make it so much worse. That will just make it so, so much worse. Like they'll they'll want to yeah. beat you up even more. So don't say that. You know? Your dad's that was... like, now I'm in trouble if you say you're half white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and when my parents got married and your parents got married, young me, like interracial mm-hmm. marriage in this country is still relatively a new thing. So, yeah. you know, people get wow. thrown and off by it. And people have very weird ideas about it. And, you know, who knows what. And it, I mean, yeah. they're still creepy and weird about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have, I know our big difference is you have a white mom and I have an Asian mom, but like, there's such a big thing about having like a sexy Asian mom, you know, in their <laughs> like friend group community. And I'm like, ew, I don't like any of this. Sorry, Brian, yeah, what were you, you going to say? Are you, uh, well, are you saying that Noah's dad isn't sexy and fuckable because he's an Asian <laughs> no, man? No, that's not what I, I mean? meant. But no, uh, that's not what I meant. But <laughs> I'm just saying that there's such a dynamic among like my dad's white friends right. of that well, age. Absolutely. I do remember my dad's brother as my uncles telling me like that my dad, this is when I was little too, but they were like, your dad is a national hero in Korea because he married a white woman. Like oh. one of my uncles literally, literally told me that there was my my grandfather is from Tegu, right? Oy. He's like, there's a statue of your dad in Tegu because he married a blonde woman. Like my uncle told Oy. me that when I was like five. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, so well, should that, I that marry generation. a white woman to be heroic? <laughs> well, no, I just wanted to say thank you for like opening up so much about your, you know, just like your biracial identity and like talking about all the food stuff. But just for the sake of time, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Ask Our you, favorite question. Yeah, so uh, what's something that you're really proud of, Noah? Um, I am I am really proud of a few things. So number one is is teaching 
in being a teacher. You know, I, I love my job. I really, really love it. And I love working with kids. And um, I love getting them to think about the world in, in new and different ways. And that's always really fun to me. Um, I'm really proud that um, I have gotten a lot of help around mental health in the past four yeah. years, especially, you know, like I really am a huge advocate for therapy now. And um, I used to be really like anti-pharmaceuticals, but I've been on an SSRI for a few years now and it's made a huge difference in my life. So, oh um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a Lexa amateur. I'm a Lexa pro. Get it? Cause oh, I'm, wow. So, you have to throw, you have to do it to us. Yeah. I had to drop <laughs> throw a pun puns. in there. That's just, this is something I was dirty like that. I had to do it to him. Um, but you know, I'm, I am happy about that. And, um, I am, I am pretty proud. It's weird to say it cause it feels like I have that Korean and also Catholic sense of like not being, braggy but i am happy that my writing has been going really well the past few years like that's that feels really good that people are actually reading it well yeah it's amazing i love reading it that's amazing i love how you tie food stuff into personal life experiences which i think you know it's a lot of food writers do but i feel like you do it in a way that's very very touching oh thank you yeah i like i like like crying i like crying yes the fact that also, you know, it sounds like such a small thing where you said that you are proud of yourself for getting help with your mental health. But that's like literally, for some reason, impossible for a lot of people to do. Mm-hmm. Like they'll they'll never admit to it and they'll never get help. Do you know what I mean? I do know because my mom, feat. my mom is one of those people, right? Like Looking when my dad you, died, parents. when my dad died, yeah. she put me and my siblings into therapy, but she didn't go herself. And it's like, mm. do you think your your husband just died? You don't think you want to hmm. talk to somebody about that? <laughs> like wow. it seems you're you're now a single mom raising three kids of a different race than you, and your husband died. You don't want you don't want to talk to anybody about that? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even now, she's like, oh well, I'm glad you're getting therapy, but I don't think I need it. I'm like, I think. <laughs> always the ones that need it the most that I are know. like i don't need it um all right well i guess that's it yeah that felt yeah, really good no, but yeah no that especially that last part when you were talking about what you're so proud of is i found it really inspiring because you know it's it's very clear to me that you're very passionate about teaching and you're also very passionate about writing yeah and uh i don't know if it's just my peer group or if it's just something that's rare in our genera in my generation where we're, I feel like we're all about like the side hustle, you know? It's like, oh, I'm doing this side thing, but I have this other thing. Like, I'm, I'm trying to be a musician. That's what I'm really passionate about, but I'm doing this shitty other job just to like make payments work or to just live a normal adult life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you, you're like, you have a lot of layers to you. You're like wearing a lot of different hats and you're doing all of it really well. And Thank you're very you. passionate about all of it. And uh, I think it's such a great thing because... I, I, it's something I need to adopt more of too because you know I have my day jobs where I'm like oh, I fucking hate this <laughs> but like I feel like I, I treat it in a in a way where I feel like it inhibits my ability to I see it as like a hindrance to my mm. my, my bigger dream where mm. it doesn't really have yeah. to be that way and you're like an embodiment of that where no. you know you you love teaching you're doing that well and you also love writing and you're also killing it in that regard too so I think it's great Oh, thank you for saying that. That's um, yeah. as I mentioned before. Words of affirmation are like really big for me. So yeah, it feels nice to be affirmed. Also, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> also, it was refreshing to hear someone not struggle so much with the "what are you proud of" question because I feel like all of our guests are like, ah, "No, 
I'm not proud. I'm humble. Shit, is it because I'm white, young me? That's why. You're racist because you're Asian, but you're proud of yourself because you're white. I'm going to have Lily. I'm going to put that on my tombstone. I'm going to put that on my tombstone. Here lies Noah Cho. Racist because he's Asian and proud because he's white. No, it's so fucked up. It is so. Like, what Brian's story? I can't get over the fact that that guy was racist and they're like, it's because he's Asian. It's like, okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll no, take where the can L. Our listeners find your work. Um, yeah, so my Instagram and Twitter um, handles are the same. It's just Noah Reservation. Um, and then I'm also nice. a regular columnist at Catapult. If you just type in Noah Cho Catapult into Google, all my columns will pop up. Um, my writings also appeared in NPR, um, The Atlantic, and um, Shonda Rhimes' website, Shonda Land. So. Ooh, Shonda Rhimes. Ooh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, How about you, Brian? Our listeners find you. No, okay, oh, me? Okay. Uh, well, you can find me <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at YMMayor. Also, I started doing TikTok kill me let's go Please. <laughs> <laughs> if you like noah you need to tell all your students to go to young me's tiktok Can i'm you going tell to them? yeah i'm going to that's my demographic <laughs> they live on tiktok um. so yes i downloaded it just to watch it really you should do it you'll be the funny tiktok teacher i think you'll be great at it <laughs> no, i, I feel like, like if I'm you're good at twitter you're like good at yeah <laughs> uh how about you brian where can we find you uh you guys can find me on social media uh it's brian park also, and Brian has a TikTok yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did it for one day, and I and I was like, "What am I doing? This isn't for me," and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I mean, I have an account just to watch other people do TikToks. I just can't imagine yeah. myself doing one. I don't want to look at my face for that long, anyway. So. All I look at now are like really muscly Asian guy models that just sort of like do push-ups, and I'm like, "Why am I watching this?" <laughs> <laughs> and you're like I'm not gonna google how old they are because I'm not gonna google how old they are oh my god it's like <laughs> that's terrifying I should delete tiktok honestly I'm too old <laughs> a predator oh, anyways uh, Noah thank you again for joining us and listeners please it always helps please leave us a review on iTunes and uh, you know share and uh, yeah we just wanted to say thank you again um, thank I think you. that's it young me right okay bye <laughs> <laughs>